severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job. Hello, I'm Jamie McKinley and welcome to episode 109 of Just Get A Real Job podcast. This week's episode is an absolute treat and it was recorded live at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival last week and we were joined by two amazing comics, Priya Hall and Kate Hammer. Kate has of course been on this podcast before but it was an absolute treat to sit down with them both on front of a live audience. Thank you to everyone that came along and supported the show. It was such a special night, such a fun episode to record and we are back at the PBH Free Fringe tonight at 8.15 in the South Sider Side Lounge. It was the same place we recorded this episode we're going to be joined by previous guests, Dictator, who are an amazing Scottish band. And they've been on an incredible journey since we last spoke to them. So that's going to be a cracking episode tonight. Be sure to come down if you're in Edinburgh or you're nearby at quarter past eight and catch us in the South Cedar Side Lounge. But this week's episode's an absolute cracker. I'm sure you're going to really enjoy it. We had a really fun time recording it. Priya and Kate are both just really inspiring people and they were so insightful. We spoke about comedy how to get into comedy, just the world of working as a stand-up. They shared very personal experiences about mental health and how they cope and their advice for others getting into that sort of world of comedy, etc. It was such a lovely conversation. We had some sound problems at the start, so if there's a bit of that in this episode, we apologise. Elliot's going to do a great job of fixing all that in post. Thank you to Elliot as well for his amazing support on the night. He was an amazing tech, as always. Massive shout-out to Amanda Dowd, who did our camera and photography that night as well. It was just a lovely night. Obviously, we started this podcast in lockdown nearly three years ago. So I said this when we did the live shows last year, but getting to do this in front of an audience is so special for us and it just means the world. So to everyone that came along last week, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. That means so much to us. We're so excited to be doing it again tonight with Dictator in front of a live audience again. It's going to be amazing. But if you're into comedy or you know Kate or Priya, or you just if you just like a good episode to listen to, you're going to love this one. They're both just so such warm and hilarious people and it was a true delight to record with them so thank you again both to them as well but without much further ado episode 109 of just get a real job with priya hall and kate hammer thank you for coming out tonight everyone really appreciate it we this is the first time i've been in this venue so we're sort of making do one of our mics broke as well but it's going to be a great show so, um, yeah, uh, thank you, Elliot, as well, for editing as always. How are you both? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Really well. Sorry we didn't come out right away. Priya got nachos, and we <laughs> immediately got really distracted. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, I think it's very funny that you come in here with a glass of wine, and I come in with a tiny bowl of nachos. <laughs> I think it's on brand for me, to be honest. I think it's a mid. I think it's really good. I, th- yeah. I need you to know that I didn't order the nachos. My girlfriend ordered them for me. Um, I, I assumed to distract me. <laughs> and it's worked. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming on. Kate, this is your fifth show today, isn't it? Which is quite incredible. You've got one more after this. Yeah, I have one more at the stand. Um, it's also my first day of the Fringe. I flew in from Canada yesterday because <laughs> I was visiting some family. Yeah, <laughs> Cheer for Canada. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it always gets so many cheers, Canada. I mean, Commonwealth. And, um, but yeah, so it, it feels like hitting the Fringe heart. I'm still 
not sure where I am, but yeah. How many your shows? I seem so weak by comparison. This is my <laughs> of the day. Oh, yes. This is the most fringe thing that I have yeah, encountered. This is my second show of the day, and I feel like I've looked. I look like I've been through the ringer, and you look so fresh, so ready for more gigs. It's because I think it's 10 a.m. That my body is in a different time zone. Yeah. But Priya, this is what, uh, like your 14th day at the Fringe? 15th? Uh, my fifth, no, yeah. Uh, what date is it today? 15th. 15th, yeah. I've been here 16 days. Wow. How, <laughs> I started how, doing previews on the 31st. How are you finding it? How are you, how are you holding that? Really good. I'm really enjoying my gigs, um, and I'm really enjoying finding an audience that, like, get it, and seeing how they, like, evolve over, over time. Um, I, am I enjoying bopping around Edinburgh? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm exhausted. <laughs> and are you getting more food brought to you in this show? Just, I just thought I would say. I honestly have no idea. I think she might be having garlic bread brought to me. What? what I, we're gonna, I'm we're doing gonna a podcast. <laughs> we're going to roll with it. Um, but That's such a good girlfriend move. That's amazing. I mean, in some ways. In, in some ways, it's incredibly distracting. <laughs> Well, we can all share the garlic bread, you know? Be a nice little podcast. Yeah. But do you want to both sort of first introduce yourself? There's going to be kind of like a into comedy. You both kind of have different levels of experience, etc. Um, so it's going to be great to sort of find out a bit more about yeah. all things. Ooh. Can you be waterboarded by sound? I think that has just happened. <laughs> Quite Should we go farther away from the I'll, I'll lean forward. It. Basically, you'll be sat in your laps before too long. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. How are you finding it? You've been here a day. Yeah. I, after so, I feel like sixteen days feels like it's been about four hundred years. So, how does it feel for you after a day? Yeah, four hundred years. I would say no. It's nice because like I did a week and a half run last year. I'm only doing two shows of my own this year, but then like a ton of spots. Um, uh, and this, I, I get, like you said, it's, I feel today is very fringy. I woke up this morning early. Uh, after staying up late to whatever, finish stuff, and uh, rushed to the train station, was like, you're not going to make it. Get a cab to the train station. Still miss my train. Uh, paid so much money for this train for some reason. Last night I got gouged by train line. And then I get to the show, and there's two people in the audience at a 10 a.m. show. Not my show, I don't mind. So... <laughs> But it was one of those moments where I went, this is the fringe, baby, you know? And because for me, I'm like, great, well, you make it work. And I kept saying, I was like, you got to have these shows. And the runner of that show was like, do you? Do you gotta? And I was like, no, it's what you, you know, you're training yourself to work in any condition. And to, if you have two people, make them feel uh, as special as, I, like, I was like, imagine it was just you two. <laughs> I, sh I go up, I shake your hand, I get to know your names, I ask you about your trauma, you know, this is, and we get personal. So yeah, very fringe, fringe so far. Very fringe, especially if the sound uh, defi <laughs> deafening me. And it's also a podcast and sounds like the most important thing. So I can't wait for people to listen to this episode next week. It's going to be great. Um, but I sort of wanted to ask you both about comedy, do a bit of a deep dive, but it might be nice if you both sort of introduce yourself. I know you've been on the podcast before, Kate, pretty this is your first time, but do you want to just sort of tell the audience a bit about your background in comedy and what you do, etc. Uh, we can start with you, Kate. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I'm still a bit of a comedy baby. Um, uh, I've been doing it. It's hard with the COVID because it's like I took two full years off because they kept Glasgow an extra uh, quarantine because we were being bad. And, uh, you know, it was like everywhere else got let out in Scotland except Glasgow. 
beautiful. So I didn't, I like did a little bit before and just as I was like, I'm going to focus on stand-up, COVID hit. So I think it was my fault. And then after COVID, uh, uh, yeah, started performing here. I think I, it was at an improvised stand-up show at The Fringe which was kind of like baptism of fire back into it being like, I was like, I love improv. I love stand up, but now you have to have a hundred bits. So if someone says, Oh, talk about sidewalks, you're like sidewalks these days. My God, what am I walking here? And like is terrible, but really fun. And uh, yeah, did well who I am. Right. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, from Canada, but moved to two and a half years ago for a master's, but like I love stand-up comedy and performing and writing and all that. And uh, I'm hoping to stay in Glasgow. So if anyone is an immigration lawyer or would like to get hastily married, just (laughs) let me know. Um, I'm Priya Hall. I've been doing stand-up for like five years, I want to say. And yeah, so I started out in Wales. I I still live in Wales, but that's where I started on the open mic scene. And yeah, since then I've just been gigging all over the place um, and this is my debut year in the fringe so I came up in 2018 to as a punter and just to do a couple of spots because I had been going for a month then and I was stupid <laughs> and thought that would be a fun thing to do and uh, to be fair I did have fun but it was oh it was I learned a lot <laughs> I learned a lot um, yeah so this is my debut year which is which feels nuts to say because I've been going for five years I think it's not in any other job that you'd be going for five years and then you're like, and now you get to do it for the first time ever. <laughs> I had no idea that it was uh, your first Fringe. I just kind of assumed, like, she's probably done the Fringe before, but that's amazing. Um, I also wanted to sort of ask you both about, like, what the best thing of uh, being in comedy is. Start with a positive. <laughs> um, I genuinely love being on stage. Uh, I don't know what it is, and I do know what it is. It's the attention. Um... But it's the, the high you get when you're on stage, um, which other performers, if you're out there, will understand this. It's that feeling. Uh, everything else, I think, is secondary in, fr- in, uh, in fringe, no, in um, comedy. So all of the travel and stuff makes it seem like a harder job than it is. But when you're on stage, that, that does it for me. Yeah, I think it's the same thing for me. Performing is about like connecting with an audience. So even if there is two people, I'm like, great. I still hope I can make you laugh or entertain you. It's not going to be as loud, but um, unless you're one of those people, I like having those loud laughers in the crowd because then you can really like it bolsters it. But it's also when they don't laugh, deafening, you know, deafening silence. And I'm like, why didn't you find that funny? You know? (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I think it takes having a, cause right now I have a day job and do comedy at night. It's, it's wearing, it wears you down. Um, but it's like when you get a great show or a great string of shows and you're like, I was improvising on stage and it was like, you're, you know, you're feeding off of that. There's, yeah, there's nothing better. Uh, and you're like, you just want more. No, thank you both for your answers. Um, I think like the thing you said about performing live is crazy as well, because I, I, I do occasional live podcasts. It's the closest thing I get to like, being myself on stage. It's quite scary. It's quite <laughs> scary. But you guys like, do this all the time and like, you know, are very personal in your sort of comedy as well. So how do you both like, sort of handle that? Is it just like, a natural thing? Yeah, for me, I think I've tried to play with different personas on stage, and it never works for me. And I'm mad because I'd love to have... like. I'd love to be able to maybe like have a punchline and be like a really slow, dark comedian or like a dry comedian. It's not easier, but in my head it would be because like uh, having ADHD and being on stage, you're like, 
uh, you're just you get it's a lot of energy. So, uh, but I think the audience for me can tell when it's not honest, and then they turn on you, and you've lost them. So I've had to kind of adapt this like. Like sometimes when I'm pitching jokes to a friend or and they pitch back, I'm like, mm, that's not my onstage me, because you still are anthologizing your personality personality a little bit. But uh, yeah, I find exactly the same thing. If I'm not authentic on stage, people can tell straight away. I think I'm, I just have one of those faces where it's very plain what I'm feeling. Um, so I do a lot of storytelling on stage. That's the bulk of what I what I do when I'm doing stand up. And if those stories aren't a, authentic, and B, uh, relevant to what I'm feeling at that time, they can clock straight away. So my stand-up is incredibly confessional and personal. Do I like that I overshare so much on stage? No, no one likes it. <laughs> but that's where I am. Um, it's mad, though, how, how you'll have audience members come up to you afterwards as though you know them. But, and I can completely understand how I, and why it happens. But sometimes, so my show this year is about how my girlfriend and I are doing IVF and trying for a baby. And oh, I forget, I've told people that. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll come up to me in the street and talk about it. And I'm like, who is this? <laughs> it's, that, that is a very strange thing to get used to. And I don't think I've quite gotten used to it yet. But <laughs> give it time. <laughs> you. Sorry, do you want to say something? No. I'm just checking. This is the one downside of sharing the mic. Well, <laughs> it's, just, it's all good. Um, thank you both for your answer there as well. Um, I, that kind of like segues nicely into like sort of writing a comedy set or a show. Like, how do you both sort of prepare for like writing a bit of comedy to take to like a stage, especially something like so personal like your show this year, etc. So, like I said, I'm I'm very much a storyteller on stage. So I will either experience something that I find funny, or other people find tragic, and I'm like, I can make this funny. Um, or I will start with like a conceit that I find funny and then work from that. So I do a lot of stuff about, um, my show's a lot about how when I'm a parent, I want to be like my grandmother because she's sort of this iconic personality. So I've got a lot of stories about her, which comes so easy because she has these stories. All I have to do is put punchlines in them. Um, so that's how I will do it. But I, it's, it's a much different beast writing a show as opposed to writing a set. <laughs> <laughs> Leila Navabi, my girlfriend, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, I didn't say anything funny. Why is everyone laughing? <laughs> Let me just take this. <laughs> it was great because you didn't see it come in either. And I smelled it before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> That's your payment for today. Um, yeah, I think it was interesting what you said about like yeah needing it to be relevant um, to like how you're feeling because I find I have to switch what I'm doing a lot. And this maybe even the question, <laughs> can I just have a conversation with you? Is like how you do a month or like when comedians take tour like shows on tour for so long. I'm always like. How do you not, because uh, how do you say the same joke every night and still feel it? Because again, with that honesty, uh, if I, I can, there, you can be telling a joke for a month and then all of a sudden it stops working. And it's not topical, it's not anything, but the audience is like, you don't even think that's funny. <laughs> You're like, oh God. So I, like, I find I have to um, always leave, like in an hour show, I'll probably leave 10 minutes uh, 10 to 15 minutes for improv or like crowd work off the top and then jokes in the middle because 
if I don't keep it spicy for myself, then I feel like I, the audience can tell that you're just going through the numbers, you're just going through the work, and there's no like maybe like spark behind the jokes or behind the eyes in it. But I do the same thing in that either I start off with an idea or something that we all kind of like resonate with, which is interesting because like TikTok is very like there'll be little things like that feeling when you go to the toilet and there's no toilet paper. You're like, yeah, oh my God, that's my life. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but that's good. Like I can take that like thing and, and write a whole different like set about that and like what's, you know, uh, yes, what makes me special. And, or I will start with a story and then go, okay, so you need a punchline here or there or I can go on a tangent there or there. And as long as you know, I, as long as I know I'm working towards a punchline, then I feel like I can go off the tracks a little bit. Uh, but you have to know where you're ending because it can't just, uh, like, like the sentence, go, well, you know, <laughs> we had good times on the way. <laughs> and then it just ends. On that thing of being like, well, if you're doing the same show over and over and over, how do you stay in the room and how do you stay present? I think what you said about leaving space to be in the room is so important. Um, and that's something I've learned literally while doing this show. Obviously, I've done it like 15 times now. Um, and that doesn't count previews, which are countless. And the leaving room for crowd work, which is something I love to do, has made it so much easier. But also, I think, r remembering that those feelings were valid once and when you actually think about them as though you're present instead of just saying the words, are still valid. Um, that's so helpful for that. I don't know how people do it for years and years. And you see people doing the same sets for like 20 years and you're like, How? <laughs> How? How are you still making jokes about Seven, the movie? How? <laughs> what's, what's going on? But, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's that of being... But, I, I mean, that's an exhausting way to do performance when you're like, I've got to be in the moment every second of every day because sometimes you just want to disassociate. <laughs> do you guys both find it quite easy to be present on a stage? Because I'm like, I struggle. Like, like This year, my sort of ambition for doing the live podcast at the Fringe, because last year I did it and I was like... I don't remember. I was just like, it's like out of body. And it kind of feels a little bit like that now, to be honest. <laughs> but maybe it's nerves. But um, I find it so impressive, like, being able to be present like that on a stage for an hour as well. Because it's like, it must be so exhausting, as you're saying as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I also wanted to ask how you both got into sort of stand-up for the first time. I know we sort of covered this before when you are on the podcast, but feel free to like sort of repeat some of the story again but it's really interesting yeah great <laughs> thank you so giving with space you just want to eat your garlic bread um yeah got into stand-up i mean yeah family wise uh he who could make the best joke held the power in the family so growing up with three older brothers there's always this competition of who could be the funniest who could spot a joke we'd always watch comedy because i lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere like we had to keep ourselves entertained and that was by uh, bullying each other. But now it's called crowd work. So it came in very handy. But I also was a tour guide and everything else. So like, it, it, I feel like when I went into stand-up, uh, I felt like I was cheating a bit because I had a lot of presenting. Or I used comedy to, comedy to get out of a lot of problems. Like People would be like, well, what's that building? And I don't know. And so I'd say, well, that's my summer home. And they'd all laugh, uh, unlike you. And... <laughs> And then that would buy me time to like Google it or they'd forget about it. Um, but yeah, I did my first set in Montreal, um, went surprisingly well, uh, which terrified me because I was like, you're supposed to start off and you're, be shit, you know, you're the worst and then you build yourself up. But uh, so yeah, it's been 
Uh, and then for the first while, I did a new set every single time, which I don't recommend. Uh, but I was like, I just have so much to say. And every single time, so it means I didn't improve on any jokes. And I felt like I was riding on this kind of like, well, it was good enough. But only when I moved to the UK did I kind of get the hang of like, you need a tight five. Uh, and how do you turn your stories into like bits and make that a tight five? Um, and I really... Also, moving from Canada, it's a totally different kind of sense of what comedy and what stand-up is. And my first time at the Fringe years ago, being a spectator, blew my mind. I was like, you're allowed to do that? Like, that's a comedy show, and they're just upside down, naked, in lettuce, and that's beautiful. This is amazing. So I think it's really opened my mind of what a kind of comedy can be, and that it can, like, you can see a comedy special here where, like, it'll change your life, or it's so personal, and it's not just, you know, joke, joke, joke. Um, and that's it. <laughs> um, I got into comedy because I was a very odd child, um, and I was creepily into stand-up for a really young age. It was just something that I loved. I was when I was seven years old. I was obsessed with Jasper Carrot. Okay, you, you're all like, that's normal, actually. Um, I really loved stand-up. He is this. Okay, so he was a stand-up comedian, I think in like the 70s, and then up until the 90s. And then he hosted a TV show called Golden Balls. Um, no? A seven-year-old shouldn't know that Jasper Carrot did stand-up, but I was obsessed. And then, um, yeah, so I was just obsessed with it from like childhood into like early adulthood. And then when I was about 26, I was like, I went to like all of the local comedy gigs in Wales and was like, I want to be part of this. I don't know how to be part of this other than to try and do it. And, and, and it's, weirdly, it's not really in my nature to do stand-up. I don't think... When I started doing it, everyone was like, really? Okay. And I was like, rude, actually. Um, and um, that's, so that's how I got into it, is the open mic scene in Cardiff, because I just so desperately wanted to be part of it. And then I got addicted to doing stand-up. I think people find this, they get addicted to the adrenaline of it. And it, that people say that you either give up within two months or you become fully addicted and never give it up in your whole life, even though every one of us should. Because <laughs> it's an insane thing to do. That's amazing that you'd wanted to do it for so long as well. Um, like, uh, well, the name of this podcast is called Just Gary It's all sort of about celebrating the arts and like the creative industries. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you. <laughs> You're keeping me right even now. Um, at the amount of times I do a podcast and I send him, he's like, Jamie didn't speak into the mic again. <laughs> Done 110 episodes. It's like every time he does, he's like, he's speaking up to the ghost that's up the stairs. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but I'll keep you on check. 110 episodes, I still can't do it, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but like, there's obviously a lot of barriers in all parts of the creative industries. And like, you were talking about how you were like, I don't know if I'm good at how I'm able to do this, but I want to do this. Um, and I know we kind of covered this a bit last time, but what, for you both, like, what are the sort of barriers for someone that maybe is listening to this and wants to get into like the comedy scene, etc. Like, what in your experience are like the barriers there, and how did you sort of both breach that gap a little bit? And I know you're still kind of in the process of doing that, etc. Yeah, I mean, um, I think a big part of it is just yeah, just going for it and doing a little research and seeing like what are the open mics that you can do, uh, and. Uh, yeah, baptism of fire. You gotta, you have to just fully jump in with both feet and then take your time. I think, you know, after a year, I was like, I know my voice. I know my comedic voice. I'm perfect. Put me on TV. And then, like, two years later, you're like, oh, now I know my voice. Um, and so I think, like, 
uh, I feel a bit weird, but like saying it, but like, don't be afraid to not steal, but like mimic the people like your heroes, because that's how you find it's never going to be the same. Don't steal jokes, but steal like style and what you like and play around. And I think the biggest thing for me was um, figuring out how you come across because I thought I came across a certain way and make a bunch of jokes being like, no one wants to date me, I'm a goblin. And then after a bit, people were like, no, I'd, I'd date you. And I was like, ah! So then I started changing what I was wearing to kind of fit my jokes. And then I was like, oh no, I should just be myself and change the jokes to be more honest. But it's hard because you might, how you come across doesn't match your self-esteem levels all the time. And so like sitting down and asking people like, what do you think of me? Like, or my accent, How, what does my accent make you think of? Am I a news reporter? Am I a CEO? And like building jokes about what you think of people's or what people's preconceptions are of you. And then you're able to kind of like work with that audience by meeting them, how they see you. And then you can take them on a journey of whatever you want to talk about. Mm, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think when people are starting out, people don't realize that almost everyone mimics the standups that they watch. I think you can tell the people who have diversified the stand-up that they're watching. You can very much tell the people who watch the same two, three stand-ups over and over and over. And you're like, okay, James Acaster already did that. <laughs> you don't need to now do it as well. Um, but you can tell when newbies have like a big, wide range of influences. And I think it so much improves their stand-up from the off because it gives you an, it gives you an opportunity to find your own voice because you're trying out different things and eventually you settle on what your actual voice is. Um, I'm going to be really boring and talk about the logistical barriers. Um, I think people don't, people don't account for how many barriers there are um, in getting into stand-up because people expect the same type of people to get into stand-up. Um, and if you are not an incredibly confident person, stand-up is still an option for you. It's very much a case of that, fake it till you make it, and then eventually you will be so used to being on stage that it'll no longer feel terrifying. And then you get to mess around. And that's so much fun. Um, in terms of like logistical stand uh, barriers, obviously class is a huge barrier. If you um, are working a full-time job, you're going to have a harder time doing um, gigs in the night because you're gonna have to like drive around the arse end of nowhere looking for open mics. And that will clash with your job. I very much, I'm very lucky to be full-time now, but for years and years, that's what I was doing. And I would come across people who'd be like, I just woke up. And I'm like, good. I love that for you. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think being aware of that is so helpful because especially then when you meet newer comics, you have like an understanding of what they've gone through and what they've going through to come get to a gig. And then I think it gives you so much more respect for newer comics when you're like, you've worked really fucking hard to be at this open mic with two people in it. Let's have a good one. Um, Class is an option, uh, is, a, is a barrier. I think race is also a barrier that a lot of people don't really talk about in comedy. Um, it, it's very rare that you're on a gig with other people of color. I'm half Indian. I, I didn't gig with another person of color until like maybe a year into doing stand-up. Um, and it, you don't realize that it's harder to do those open mics if you are a person of color because you run the risk of being racially abused if you go to these places in the arse end of nowhere. I'm from Wales. So some of the open mics I did, Jesus Christ. Uh, but I had a great time. <laughs> I really messed with them. Um, so I think, what am I trying to say here? I guess what I'm trying to say is if you are watching a newer comic and you are 
trying to enjoy them at the same level that you would someone who's been going for years and years and years. Remember the barriers that they have overcome to get on that stage then and there and give them the grace that they need because that's the only way you can get better. Say one more thing. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, it also comes with like some weird stuff. I, I don't know. How, there's a lot of like stand up because it's so low on stage usually. Um, it's hard to kind of like know how you come across, but also how you did or, you know, what's the awareness of that. Um, and don't just like you have to build in that self-confidence. Don't <laughs> don't be so confident that you bomb at a gig and you're like, God, that was perfect. You know, I've seen people walk off and they're like, wouldn't change a thing. And I was like, you made some people mad. And but also I've been at shows where like I do well and then you get off and uh, a comedian will be like, oh, they really made you work for that, didn't they? And I was like, no, it was good. But you're trying to get like it comes with a lot of weirdness and people can be uh, strange because they think it's a solo uh, art and that your competition. But I think like, yeah, just trust yourself and try and raise uh, other people up. And the last thing I'll say is it's uh, even if you're doing a five minute spot, that's probably a six hours of your day. So like you said, it's traveling to the gig. It's being at the gig. It's doing your little piece and then staying to the end of the gig and maybe networking afterwards and then going home. And you're like, God, that was like so much money for five minutes. But was it that much money for six hours? No. Thank you both for um, like really, really insightful answer. I think it's really important to talk about these things. And like, obviously, we've been doing this podcast for like nearly three years and we've had so many conversations in all different sort of facets of the creative industries. And it's like the same for so many. But I do think in particular comedy is like one of the hardest to breach because of a lot of the reasons you're saying. Like, I think if you're not maybe in the top 20, 30 comics then you're not getting a lot of airtime, you're not getting seen a lot and I think you know it's a really good point to make as well about like appreciating like you know even if you see someone doing a work in progress for 10 minutes like as, you, as well we're saying about the six hour thing it's like it's so true like, it's, so, it's so hard as well so um, great points thank you both um, you were touched on influences as well but who were sort of your big comedy influences like growing up I know you'd sort of already mentioned a few but do you have any more crazy ones or I'm happy to say that Jasper Carrot is not my only comedy influence <laughs> Um, I so I think when I was in my early 20s like late teens early 20s I got really into like contemporary British comedy so people like Nish Kumar Ashleen B um, just a like really good group of comics I think to like aim towards because again uh, clearly a bunch of comics that have a diverse range of influences um, so they had a huge impact on me also weirdly um I was really into Eddie Murphy when I was 11. And not that I mimic any of him on stage, but the storytelling is immaculate. Um, yeah, that was part of the reason why I moved over here is when I was in high school, I um, YouTube, discovered YouTube. No one else found it but me. And uh, so that was the only way I could access UK comedy. And it was like, it just, it resonated so much more with me. And like Simon Amstel, but also just uh, all the panel shows. We don't really have panel shows in Canada. So it's like, mock the week. Did I, uh, would I lie to you? Like every panel show you could find clips and you're just, I just like soaked it all in. It was amazing. Um, I was really lucky that, yeah, CBC, um, Canadian Broadcasting Company, for those uh, not in the know, unlike my Canadian fans up front. You guys are now. Uh, <laughs> I like the only thing you've said is Canada twice. Um, 
And uh, so there was a lot, because we have Just for Laughs in Canada, so there was a lot of the compilation shows on Always. So it was a really wide reach of like uh, styles and, and jokes. And I soaked that up. I lived in Montreal, uh, got to do Just for Laughs, but also what you could see was amazing. And then coming here to be able to see those people you just mentioned like live was so amazing. I remember seeing Nish Kumar. He was at a, an event the day after he got the bread thrown at him. And it was like the once in a lifetime. He just went on for half an hour and was like, let's address the bread. And I was like, because I already, he just handled everything with like the most amazing tact and gave trigger warnings before he, like, and, and just with such ease. And the pace that he speaks is like, he's just hitting you with a punchline every two seconds. He's one of my favorites. Um, but then, yeah, Phil Wang, James Acaster, like all the names uh, to be in here. And I think like Scotland has such an amazing comedy scene right now. I don't know before, maybe before. <laughs> Billy Connolly, but don't know the guy. Um, but like right now it's so incredible. So I just feel so lucky to like be watching so much world-class comedy. And then everyone comes up for the fringe. So I feel like uh, Scotland was a great place to settle. That wasn't the question, but that's where I'm ending. I completely agree with Scottish comedy. Yeah. No, it's such. It is. It does feel like a really good place to sort of see comedy, like living here and stuff outside the fringe as well. And um, I mean, I've wanted to sort of do a more com uh, I can't speak comedy focused episode because of that. Because apart from UK, I've only had one other comic on until tonight. So, and we've done 110 episodes, so we really need to up that. I know we doubled it as well, so it's great. Um, but thank you for sort of going into your influences. I also want to. We talked about a bit about diversifying and like having other jobs and things. I know you both also write and act and do lots of other things. You just, Kate, have had a, a short film called The Bear, which you talked about last time on the podcast. I know you'd written on like things like Bad Education and Never Mind the Buzzcocks and stuff, which is amazing. But like, how do you both like sort of apply stand-up and that side of it? Because they're very different and like diversify and do f things like writing for comedy shows and writing short films and acting and stuff. How do you both do that? I'll go first because it'll ease into the more impressive credits, I think, we'll give. I was like, I didn't know you wrote on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. <laughs> uh, that was also one that I watched so many clips of. The Simon Amstel years of Nevermind the Buzzcocks were beautiful. Anyway, um, what was the question? Oh, yeah, writing for film. Um, yeah, actually, Bear just premiered tonight. Yeah, th well, thank you. None of you have seen it. Yeah, I didn't go to it. I was like, premiere without me, baby. Um, so I hope it did well. Um, but yeah, I think it's been, it all feeds into each other. And whenever I talk to, uh, I have a couple different mentors in like writing and comedy, and uh, they're like, no, it all feeds into each other. I think especially in the UK, there's a really big, uh, like, what is that? Type pipeline, yeah, pipeline. I was gonna say tunnel to, <laughs> From comedy to especially like having your own TV show or writing for TV because because I think it is based more in storytelling intention and so it's already baked into a lot of the writers doing that um, and there's more opportunities here to write on shows uh, but yeah I'm starting out small I've written and directed I think three short films this year one of them's out we'll finish the others later in September in September in another lifetime and. Uh, and yeah, I think uh, it just, you just, it's one of those things where it's been hard to balance um, for me, but uh, it's, and it's nice to have deadlines with my ADHD, but like, yeah, it's, it all feeds into each other. And I think um, 
the best thing about knowing being on the comedy scene is knowing so many comedians and then you can kind of especially if you're trying to write local and be like I'm just going to produce this myself I'm going to make some clips then you can write for the com comedians you know and then writing becomes infinitely easier because you're you know their voice you've seen their set so many times <laughs> it's my dream to do someone else's set right before they go on does that a thing set swap yeah. can you talk more about that <laughs> Um, I don't know how common a thing it is, but I know they certainly do them in Cardiff because we all see each other's material so often. Have you done someone else? I've never done it because um, I do material about being uh, Indian and <laughs> no one wants to take it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Also, it's, it's quite fun when uh, someone dresses up as another person without telling that person that they're dressing up as them. Oh my God, Hi. iconic. <laughs> really disconcerting, actually. <laughs> I mean, is, I can't wait. Watch no, <laughs> watch out, comedians of Scotland. <laughs> I know how you dress. I know how you talk. <laughs> I will not be doing the accent. <laughs> I cannot do a Scottish accent. Yeah. So um, I do. I I write for shows as well. It's the reason that I've been able to go full time as a comic, uh, because stand up does not pay. Um, but yeah, the writing is really really helpful. I think stand up has made it so much uh, so much easier to write because. Essentially, what you're doing is every time you go on stage, you're writing material. Even if you are doing the same set you've done a million times, you will be writing on stage because in your head, you'll be trying to adapt it for the room. Um, and I think it makes you so quick on your feet. Um, in terms of writing for comedy shows like Buzzcocks, it's, um, it's such a fun experience because, like you said, you're writing in someone else's voice, but that voice is someone you've never met before. You're just obsessed with their comedy. So, like, having to write for Greg Davis... And we got a like, specific direction, which was like, it's not him on Taskmaster that you're writing for. It's him on Buzzcock. So it's, it's like him actually, not like his mean alter ego. And I was like, rats. <laughs> I want it to be mean. <laughs> um, it's so helpful if you can do that. And if you are a creative person, which I assume the people who start out doing stand-up or the people listening to this podcast are... Um, you will try and seek out any sort of creative avenue. So whether it's writing sitcoms or writing uh, for other people, a lot of comics write for each other. If someone's going on a panel show, they usually won't write all of their own jokes. They will have people help them. Um, and it's a great way to diversify and it makes your own writing so much better because you now have that ability to go, okay, well, what am I writing for this moment? And what am I writing for this personality and this feeling? Um, that was really helpful. Um, yeah. Um, what What is like the comedy scene in Cardiff and Wales and stuff like? Just to quickly touch on it, because I know we mentioned Scotland. I want to hear about Wales. I've also not had very many Welsh people on the podcast, so. It is so much fun. Um, I love the comedy scene in Wales because it's a real mix of like really, really, really like brilliant stand-ups who have been going for ages but don't have any intention of leaving the Cardiff scene just because they love it, uh, who are absolutely magnificent and sometimes I watch them and I'm like you should be on every TV show you should be on the one show you should be on the news you should be on every TV show <laughs> and then uh, uh, a mix of really exciting up-and-comers who it's constant Wales um, I'm not sure why that is I think it's because um, maybe in our schools they really encourage the arts from a really early age so yeah but, but there's a constant flow of really exciting newcomers um, and that either carry on in Wales and like thrive and flour uh, flourish in Wales or move on elsewhere and go up to London or Bristol and thrive and flourish there. So I love it. It's great. 
Thank you very much. Um, we're sort of having to rattle through this today because normally on a podcast you'd like record for like an hour and a half, two hours, cut out stuff. You know, it's like you go on tangents, but this is like we have to get. We've only got like fifteen minutes, so I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask about mental health. You were talking about earlier as well, Priya, about like um, sort of how the sort of weird toll it takes when you're being present for an hour. And we again sort of vaguely touched on this last time we spoke on the podcast, but like, how do you both protect your mental health in this crazy industry we all work in for some mental reason? That's a really good question. I don't think the right people to ask that question to are comedians, <laughs> who are famously genuinely insane. Um, I think I think sometimes remembering that it's a job and that the people you gig with are both colleagues and friends, but those two things don't have to combine all of the time um, is helpful. I think... Comedy is a real problem when there's no boundary between friendship and colleague. There's no boundary between work and your real life. Um, and setting those boundaries, even if it's just for yourself, is so helpful. When you're like, I'm, I've left the gig now, and I'm home, and I'm back to being a normal human being <laughs> who is not stressed about what everyone else is doing and stressed about my set. Um, I think that's really helpful. I also think... Um, not putting yourself in harm's way for, the, for a laugh is a, an important lesson for a lot of new comics to learn, um, which sounds easier said than done, but when I was new, I did every gig. Every gig that was offered to me, I said yes. I had a rule in my own head that I'd set myself where it was like, say yes to everything. And I shouldn't have done that because I did, at certain times, put myself in harm's way, both physically and mentally. Um, and I think what I would say to new comics is don't do that <laughs> because it'll take a while for you to get back on the right track. Sorry, that was... Happy. <laughs> no, I passed the mic because I was like, I have so much advice to give, and I follow none of it. Yeah. And yeah, and I, it's 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 tricky because yeah, you want, uh, and I think we all, uh, or no, we all, I, I hope that like of getting to a spot where you're like, oh yeah, I can pick and choose between gigs because you'll get enough, you know, uh, good vibes about you. What is, there's a word, yeah, <laughs> buzz around you that you can like. Uh, be a little more particular with the with the shows that you choose, but also then there's that constant fear of if I say no to this gig, that producer's never going to book me again. And it's I think the worst part about it is that it's not unfounded. Is that like producers can be very tricky, and at the end of the day, it's all humans. But like put yourself first, and uh, because it's better to have good gigs than gigs where you're overtired and you're not doing your best shows, uh, and then you leave a bad impression. So then was it even worth you know? the time and the probably loss of money that you've taken to go be funny somewhere. Um, uh, I was going to say something else, but uh, I forget because I've done five shows today. So, but, but don't do that, guys. It was, yeah. thing on mental health. I think also that thing when you're starting out, you think it is that exact thing of being like, I need to say yes to everything or otherwise no one's going to ask me again. You get to a point and there are some people who get to this point much quicker than others where you realize some people, yes, will not book you again if you say no to a gig, but the good ones will. And there are good promoters out there. And also, if you can't find any, carve your own space. This is something I didn't realize until quite late in the day, but you can, you can cut your own path. And if you are a person of color, if you are a femme presenting person, if you're a queer person, you're going to have to do that regardless. So do not waste your time being treated like shit by people who do not care if you are well or not. 
these are both great answers um, as well. Like I think it's really similar. Like in TV where I work, like the lines are really blurred between colleagues and uh, these these lovely audience members need to leave at nine. Um, thank you for coming very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's all good. Thank you so much. Have a lovely night. I just wanted people to not think they were walking out <laughs> in a heavy mental health chat. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you but like in it's similar in tv where like you feel like you have to say yes to every opportunity i did that for years and it's only now where i'm start got a bit more like stable in my career that i'm a bit more like i don't really need to say yes to that if i don't want to do it and it's so hard and like that colleague thing as well must be even more crazy in comedy where you're like working at night there's usually drink involved people are drinking and stuff but like the lines being blurred it's so weird because you're like i don't want to annoy that person they might not employ me but it's so true you do have to sort of carve your own space and if you see bad behavior you have to try and be like well screw them I'm just gonna like I really want to work for them if they're gonna treat people like that because you know we're the future of the creative industry as well so we have to set these good standards um, I have some quick fire questions for you both you don't have to be like super super quick but you know we have like 12 minutes or something um, but firstly uh, what's the fa your favourite stand-up performance that you'd ever seen in your life I saw Rod Gilbert when I was 14 years old do a gig that he arrived half an hour late to um, and so he simply stood on stage and went, what do you want to hear? And we shouted out our favourites and he just did the hit. It was amazing. I'm going to say the Nish Kumar set that I referenced before because it was like to see a comedian do 30 minutes on something that happened the day before. Like this is raw and it was so funny. And you're like, that's just a talented person. Thank you both. Right. So obviously names of comedy shows are a big thing. So like. It, what's the best name you'd ever seen for a comedy show and what's the worst name or the funniest name? It doesn't need to be worse in a bad way, but it could be bad. Um, that's the way Aha Aha Joe Lice said Aha Aha is the best name that's ever been used for a comedy show. Um, I was talking to someone recently and you know the phrase tough titties? Is that used here? I was like, that's a show. It's not, a, it's not one I've seen yet, but in a future in a future year, you'll see me on a poster with some tough-looking titties. Um, I think, yeah, Joe Lice's one is good. And you see some people. I think this year, Paul McDaniel has a show called Better Paul Paul <laughs> instead of Better Call Saul. And it, it makes, me, makes me giggle every time. So it's a close runner-up. What would your like, dream comedian to sort of open for or tour with be? Who, if you could tour with any comedian in the world, who would it be? Can I, I'm going to brag at this point and say that I've already opened for my favourite comedians, which is Nish Kumar and Catherine Ryan. Um, and it was, I never want to do any other gigs. Sometimes I'm at gigs and I'm like, do you know what? <laughs> it'll, nev it'll never come close to that high. I never want to get to the point where people are opening for me because I simply want to open for those people. <laughs> is it because like those audiences are, are coming to laugh? Like they're prepped and primed? And they are exactly the right people. Like they're like, because we have the same influences and they are my influences. The minute I get on stage, I'm like, my people. <laughs> You've collected them for me. Yeah, I, I've been lucky enough to uh, be on the same bill. I don't know if it counts as opening for Josie Long, which was amazing. And she's so nice, the nicest person. Uh, also for Karen Dunbar and uh, Rich Hall. And so I feel super lucky, uh, to, but I haven't like done an opening spot. So yeah, I'm uh, just... Priya, it would be great. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, if um, okay, great. That actually, it was just a joke. So. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. Um, 
what would your dream show to write on be? Um, again, like if you could write, on, it doesn't even have to be comedy. It could be drama. It could be anything. I mean, it, like Taskmaster would be amazing because I think there's so much fun to be had, and even just writing the games or uh, just being around that show would be incredible. Um, I love Ashling B's uh, This Way Up. So well written, so funny, but also dramatic. Uh, yeah, I, uh, come back. I would love to take a stab at The One Show. I think I could do such fun things with The One Show. I could turn it into, like, it's already mental. I could turn it real weird. Um, and failing that, I think Starstruck by Rose Matafeo would be really nice to write on. One more. Uh, I know it's been uh, discontinued, <laughs> cancelled, but Feel Good by Mae Martin was like, well, it's, it's done. Yeah, it's, it's just finished. But, like, queer representation, uh, Canadian representation, <laughs> and, like, just again, like, so funny. The first season was so tight thematically, and it had Dr. Brown. It, it had everything. Such a good show. Um, this is a really good question as well. Uh, what, what's your, like, dream what? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, what would your, like, dream walkout song be? This is something I think about every fringe. Then you come, and it's like a tiny room. You can't even have a proper walkout, but it's just, I'm going to keep dreaming this. I'm so shit at remembering music. It feels like I've never heard a, a song in my life whenever you ask me. So I don't, I always panic and uh, I say w whatever you want. But I think, like, uh, I feel like I used to use some Lizzo songs because they had a lot of power to them. What'd you smell? My friend's mouthing something at me. What? All Star. Oh, yeah. Actually, I love using All Star by Smash Mouth. <laughs> um, and so I have this bit that. Um, where I get an audience member to recommend a song to me uh, for a reason you'll have to wait and see. And uh, it happened at a show where someone said, Rockstar by Pink. And I couldn't, because I came out to, to All Star, couldn't separate the songs. <laughs> I was like, hey, uh, so what? I'm still a rock star and get your game on, go play. <laughs> and I couldn't get back on track and it became like I was, I'd be, I was on, struggling on stage and it became a whole thing. And then two weeks later at a different gig, I did the same bit and someone said, Rockstar by Pink. And I had to pause for a moment because I was like, you don't know why this is perfect. <laughs> you don't know why this is funny. But yes, uh, Smash Mouth All-Star. Great. It's a great choice. Um, my walk on and walk off music is Chirpy Chirpy Cheep Cheep. Where's your mama gone? Where's your mama gone? It's a show about IVF. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I think it's 70s based, but... Where's your mama gone? Where's your mama gone? No? Can you just do that one more time? Where's your mama gone? Yeah. With one mic as well. <laughs> um, last, the quick fire. So normally in the podcast we ask, like, worst part-time job. Because Kate's been on the podcast before, I've, I've changed the question. So if you didn't work in the creative industries, what, would, what job would you do instead? Like, what fun job would you do instead? didn't need to be fun it could just be accountancy I had a mad job before I did stand up I've, I've done every job going I really just bounced around jobs but one of them was um, my job was to go door to door um, in Wales uh, telling people they were recycling incorrectly and telling them how to recycle and it was the funniest thing I've ever done people got so angry I had the time of my life <laughs> do you think you helped the recycling of Wales no no in your recycling bin and they're like don't tell me what to do and I'm like absolutely fair <laughs> um, I think I would just like to uh, like retire to the countryside and make butter 
Yeah, just have a simple life. I want, I want that, but then it's, I know that I could never be happy just doing that because I, I uh, need the thrill-seeking of bombing on stage, you know? So, but I wish I could just have a couple goats make butter, wear an apron. That's it. Great. Well, I've got, this is like the, nearly the end of the show. I've got one more question for you. Thank you both for your time tonight. It's been so fun. This has been one of the weirdest live shows I've ever done in the best possible way with the tech issues and the garlic bread made it. So it was absolutely brilliant. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. But uh, what is your sort of closing advice to anyone that maybe wants to get into comedy? What would you sort of both say to them? Yeah, I was also going to say the garlic bread has made this feel very like big fat quiz of the year where they're just like, here's the food I've brought today. And, but you had your gr girlfriend deliver it to you, which is even better. Um, uh, yeah, I think just don't be, uh, don't be afraid to fully commit because uh, to the bit. And that, not to comedy, but to the bit. Because I think so many times you can go, oh, this is a bit of a weird joke. And to make it work, I have to be silly and weird and vulnerable on stage. And it's going to feel bad. So, but when you half-ass that, that's when a joke doesn't land. And I feel like then you give up on that joke. And like leaning more into the physicality and weirdness and like the bit of it has always worked and landed and like made me more inspired to do it. So like if you're going to go for something, two feet in, because if it's going to bomb, you may as well have fun yourself. That's really good advice. I would also say, um, like I said earlier, cut your own path. I think people will talk until your years fall off about the right way to do comedy, but there is no right way. Everyone you love and adore cut their own path so whatever you feel is right for you do that and you will feel scrutinized and you will feel like everyone's talking about what you're doing that's not a bad thing um do do your own thing thank you both before everyone goes you both want to plug your french as well i know you got one more left next and you're on tonight is it 10 aren't you do you want to tell people what yeah. i'm going to the stand doing best of red raw um and but i have one more personal show called wide set um, it's only slightly about my vagina, um, which is crazy. I named a whole show after t a two-minute bit, and uh, that is next Tuesday, the 22nd, at 6.30 p.m. at the Beehive Inn. Um, pay what you can. Come on out. Um, I'm on at 4.20 every day uh, for the rest of my life in uh, Monkey Barrel 2, and my show is called Grandmother's Daughter. And like I said, it's all about uh, queerness and IVF and so much about my nana, Sheila. Thank you both for your time today. It's been great. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. Thank you to Elliot for doing the tech. We are back here uh, next Tuesday. I'll let everyone clap. That's fine. <laughs> uh, we are back here next Tuesday. We're interviewing an amazing Scottish band called Dictator, and it's at the same time next week. So please come along if you can. Thank you, everyone, for your time tonight. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. Have a lovely night, everyone. Well, there you go. That was episode 109 of Just Get A Real Job live at the Edinburgh Fringe. Thank you again to the PBH Free Fringe for having us. Thank you again to Elliot for his support on the night. Thank you again to our lovely two guests, Priya and Kate as well. An absolute pleasure. Be sure to go and see their Fringe shows as well if there are links to those in the show notes below the podcast. We are so excited to be back at the Free Fringe tonight. 8.15 in the Southside of Side Lounge if you're kicking about Edinburgh or nearby. Come see us chat to Dictator. But anyway, that's all for this week. We'll be back with the second of our live podcast next Tuesday. We can't wait. Have a lovely week, everyone. Just get a real job.